Section 2 of Observations and Reflections by Augustus Toplady. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Holy Spirit, when the rays of the sun fall on the surface of a material object, part of those rays are absorbed, part of them are reflected back in straight lines, and part of them refracted, this way and that, in various directions. When the Holy Spirit shines upon our souls, part of the grace he inspires is absorbed to our own particular comfort, part of it reflected back in acts of love and joy and prayer and praise, and part of it refracted every way in acts of benevolence, beneficence, and all moral and social duty. The most correct and lively description of the sun cannot convey either the light, the warmth, the cheerfulness, or the fruitfulness which the actual shining of that luminary conveys. Neither can the most laboured and accurate dissertations on grace and spiritual things impart a true idea of them without an experience of the Holy Spirit's work on the heart. In vain do the inhabitants of London go to their conduits for supply, unless the man who has the master key turns the water on. And in vain do we seek to quench our thirst at ordinances unless God communicates the living water of his Spirit. Scripture can be savingly understood only in and by the inward illumination of the Holy Ghost. The Gospel is a picture of God's free grace to sinners. Were we in a room hung with the finest paintings and adorned with the most exquisite statues, we could not see one of them if all light was excluded. Now the Blessed Spirit's irradiation is the same to the mind that outward light is to the bodily eyes. As the sails of a ship carry it into the harbour, so prayer carries us to the throne and bosom of God. But as the sails cannot of themselves speed the progress of a vessel unless filled with a favourable breeze, so the Holy Spirit must breathe upon our hearts, or our prayers will be motionless and lifeless. An excellent divine of the last century, Mr. Thomas Cole, compared the scriptures to a seal and the heart of man to wax, I would add that the Holy Ghost is the fire that warms and penetrates and softens the wax in order to its becoming susceptible of impression. The Word of God will not avail to salvation without the Spirit of God. A compass is of no use to a mariner unless he has light to see it by. A house uninhabited soon comes to ruin, and a soul uninhabited by the Holy Spirit of God verges faster and faster to destruction. Holiness. The progress of holiness is sometimes like the lengthening of daylight after the days are past the shortest. The difference is for some time imperceptible, but still it is real and in due season becomes undeniably visible. In one of Mr. Pope's letters, if I mistake not, mention is made of an eastern fable to this effect. On a time, the owls and bats joined in a petition to Jupiter against the sun, setting forth that his beams were so unsufferably troublesome that the petitioners could not fly abroad with comfort, but were kept prisoners at home for at least twelve hours out of the twenty-four. Jupiter, seeing Apollo shortly after, informed him of the application he had received, adding, I shall, however, take no notice of the petition, and for you, do you be revenged by shining. O believers, when papists and Arminians charge the doctrines of grace with a tendency to licentiousness, let your lives be a confutation of the falsehood, be revenged by shining. 
humility. It is a great thing to have gospel humility. If you know you want it, it is a sign you are not quite without it. Children, much indulged, are apt to take liberties. To keep us humble, God must sometimes seem to frown. Husbands. Many husbands are like some members of Parliament, all complacence, humility, and fair speeches beforehand, but no sooner in possession of the desired object than the supple candidate becomes a haughty master. Hypocrites. There is sometimes on trees and flowers what florists call a false blossom. How many such do we see in the world of professing Christians? Different members of the body have different offices, and are some of greater, others of less importance, but they all belong to the body. Hypocrites are not real members, but excrescences of the church, like falling hair or the parings of the nails. Ideas Definitions or accurate ascertainments of the precise ideas, which we mean to convey by particular terms and phrases, are of great consequence in disembarrassing a question and in shortening a debate. Ignorance. Men adopt vice and error for want of knowing the true deformity of both. As in Russia, where unmarried women constantly wear veils, it is frequent for the bridegroom never to see his wife's face until after marriage. Imperfection. If I build a house, it is ten thousand to one if I do not afterwards find it defective in some respect or other. There is continually something to add or something to alter, and sometimes that may be improved for the better. If I write a book, I find it imperfect, some errata of the printer, some defects in the language, something to add or something to retrench. So it is with all human works. The work of Christ's righteousness and redemption is the only finished, the only perfect work that ever was wrought among men. God give me faith in it. Illumination The Holy Ghost must shine upon your graces or you will not be able to see them and your good works must shine upon your faith, or your neighbours will not be able to see them. Imputed Righteousness The form of salutation in some countries is by respectfully touching or lifting up the corner of the person's garment you would address, but to kiss his vest is the highest token of reverence, and the highest instance of regard you can show to Christ is by embracing the robe of his imputed righteousness. Incompetency. Man, even in his most enlightened state, can no more form a competent idea of the wisdom that lies at the bottom of God's effective and permissive decrees than an earthworm or a beetle can enter into the political views which actuate the movements of a prime minister. Innovation. I have known an unskilful weeder pull up and destroy flowers, roots and herbs under the notion of their being weeds. Just such would be the conduct of the present restless enemies to the Church of England if their innovating wishes were to take effect. 1772. Interest in Christ. Our interest in Christ does not depend on our sanctification, but our sanctification depends on our interest in Christ. Intrepidity. Go to heaven boldly. Let men say what they will. Use yourself to the weather. A little rain will not melt you. The more you wrap up, the more liable you will be to take cold. Justice. Some harbours have bars of sand which lie across the entrance and prohibit the access of ships at low water. There is a bar not of sand but of adamantine rock, the bar of divine justice which lies between a sinner and heaven. 
Christ's righteousness is the high water that carries a believing sinner over this bar and transmits him safe to the land of eternal rest. Our own righteousness is the low water which will fail us in our greatest need and will ever leave us short of the heavenly Canaan. Justification Antiquarians set an inestimable value on uniques, i.e. on such curiosities of which there is but one of a sort in the world. Justification is in the number of the believer's uniques. There is but one justification, properly so called, in the whole universe, and it equally belongs, through grace, to all the children of God, and the Christian wishes to be viewing it every moment. Christ's sheep do not contribute any part of their own wool to their own clothing. They wear and are justified by the fine linen of Christ's obedience only. Knowledge in Theory I am acquainted with a lady who is a thorough mistress of music, as a science and can play the harpsichord with great judgment, but though she understands it, she does not love it, and never plays if she can avoid it. Too strong a picture of some who know the gospel in theory, but neither love it in sincerity nor practice its precepts with a good will. Language it were to be wished that the advocates for the best of causes would, with Solomon, seek out acceptable words. I acknowledge that genteel drapery adds nothing to the value, but it adds much to the agreeableness of truth, which is not the better received for appearing in dishabille, much less for being attired like a sloven. If we do not decorate her with what Lord Chesterfield terms lace and embroidery, that is, with rich metaphors and refinement of style, Yet an author should not permit her to walk abroad either in sluttish negligence or in the garb of a shabby old gentlewoman fallen to decay. Law. The terrors of the law have much the same effect on our duties and obedience as frost has on a stream. It hardens, cools, and stagnates. Whereas, let the shining of divine love rise upon the soul, repentance will then flow. Our hardness and coldness thaw. Life of Christ. The life of Christ on earth may be compared to the Garden of Eden before Adam fell, in which was no plant growing, but such as were beautiful and salutary, none that was either useless or hurtful. Lord's Day It is certainly no small point gained to prove that what is now generally considered as the first day of the week is in reality and in order of rotation from the beginning the seventh or primeval Sabbath, and that God incarnate rose from the tomb on that very day in succession on which God absolutely ceased from the works of creation. Indeed, the compilers of our liturgy seem to have had some light into this matter, else they would hardly have engrafted the fourth commandment, which expressly and preemptorily enjoins the sanctification of the seventh day into the communion service and directed all the members of the church to unite in prayer to God for grace to keep that law. Love to God. The people of Christ are not merit-mongerers. Love to the captain of their salvation ranks them under his banner. They are not like the Swiss who fight for pay. As fruits artificially raised or forced in a hothouse have not the exquisite flavour of those fruits which grow naturally and in their due season, so that obedience which is forced by the terrors of the law wants the genuine flavour and sweetness of that obedience which springs forth from a heart warmed and meliorated with the love of God in Christ Jesus. If Christ has your good will, he will certainly have your good word. 
If you truly love him, you will not be ashamed to speak for him. Marriage When a believer marries an unbeliever, what is it but reviving the old, cruel punishment of tying the living and the dead together? Memory Many of God's people lament the badness of their memory, and yet, after all, a heart memory is better than a mere head memory, better to carry away a little of the life of God in our souls than if we were able to repeat every word of every sermon we have heard. Ministers Gospel ministers should not be too hasty and eager to wipe off every aspersion that is cast on them falsely for Christ's sake. Dirt on the character, if unjustly thrown, like dirt on the clothes, should be let alone for a while until it dries, and then it will rub off easily enough. Ministers then only draw the bow successfully when God's Holy Spirit sharpens the gospel arrow and wings it to the hearts of them that hear. Gregory Nazianzen says in his Eulogium on Basil, Vronte siologos astrape de vios. Thy word was thunder and thy life was lightning. Such should the preaching and the conversation of every minister be. The weight of opposition will always fall heaviest on those who sound the gospel trumpet loudest. Gospel ministers do indeed in some sense turn the world upside down. The fall of Adam has turned human nature upside down long ago, and converting grace must turn us upside down again in order to bring us right. Gospel ministers are usually, in will and desire at least, employed for God to the last moment of their lives. Their work being accomplished, they are called from labour to heaven, as Cincinnatus was found at the plough when he received his call to the dictatorship of Rome. Among the great variety of preachers, some give the pure gospel wine, unadulterated and undashed, others give wine and water, some give mere cold water without a drop of wine among it. Were evangelical preachers and writers to stop and give a lash to every spiteful, noisy cur that yelps at them in their way to the kingdom of God, they would have enough to do before they got to their journey's end. Next to being a true believer, it is the hardest thing in the world to be a faithful minister. Ministers are the bow, the law is the arrow. God must bend the bow by the impulse of his own arm and wing the arrow, or it will never hit a sinner's heart. I have read of some harbour abroad where salt water and fresh run together in one amicable stream but without mingling. Such should be the care of God's ministers. They are to preach both law and gospel but without mixing or confounding them together. The best clock in the world will be spoiled if you are perpetually moving the hand backwards and forwards and altering it in order to make it keep time with a variety of other clocks. It will hardly ever go regularly and well. So a minister who shapes and accommodates his sentiments and discourses to the tastes and humours and opinions of other people will never be happy, respectable, or useful. Different ministers are sent of God to different persons, just as a great man who keeps many servants sends them with letters or messages to such or such particular people. A minister can only lay on the caustic. God alone can make the hearers feel it. Morality to amuse fallen sinners with lectures upon morality is like going to an hospital and haranguing to a company of sick folks on the advantages of health. Rather, let us labour to cure them of their diseases, and then they will know the value and comforts of health without our giving them a dissertation upon it. 
lead sinners to Christ and the Holy Spirit, and then they will love and practice morality as naturally as sparks fly upward. Morality, not flowing from faith in Christ, resembles an artificial flower, which has the appearance but neither the life, the beauty, nor the fragrance of a real one. I have no more conception of a true believer without morality than of a river without water, or of a sun without light and heat. National Concerns National matters at present carry a very gloomy aspect, but it is in things civil as in things spiritual, and I regard my country and myself in a similar view. Considered in myself, I am a most unworthy and sinful creature. Considered in Christ, I am without fault before the throne of God. Consider the state of public affairs as they are in themselves, and hardly anything can be more threatening, cloudy, or unfavorable. Consider them in a providential view, and whatever is, is right. This is my sheet anchor concerning that black and dismal storm which now seems to be bursting over the English Empire. At Bath, August 4th, 1775. Negligence. When persons loiter on a journey, they are sometimes benighted afterwards, and when believers are not diligent in the use of ordinances and in the performance of good works, no wonder if they walk in darkness. New birth. All God's children are stillborn. They come spiritually dead into the world, and dead they continue till they are born again of the Holy Ghost. Every believer has four births, a natural birth into the world, a spiritual birth into the kingdom of grace at regeneration, a birth into glory at death, and a new birth of his body from the grave at the resurrection. No man can remember the day of his natural birth, but most of God's people can remember the day when they were born again. Obloquy. The times are such that it is almost impossible for a man to go to heaven without getting a nickname by the way, but it is better to go to heaven with a nickname than to go to hell without one. If I must either give up the truths of God or lose my character, then farewell character and welcome the truths of God. Old and New Man Old Adam never was a saint yet, and never will be, Romans 7. On the other hand, the new man, or principle of grace in the heart, never sinned and never can, Romans 7, 1 John. One Church Take a mass of quicksilver, let it fall to the floor, and it will split itself into a vast number of distinct globulars. Gather them up and put them together again, and they will coalesce into one body as before. Thus, God's elect below are sometimes crumbled and distinguished into various parties, though they are all, in fact, members of one and the same mystic body. But when taken up from the world and put together in heaven, they will constitute one glorious, undivided church forever and ever. In North America have been lately reckoned no fewer than 75 religious denominations, and were there 75,000, it would not signify seven pins heads. Denomination is nothing. Grace is grace in every converted person. There is but one church after all. Original Sin Before the fall, man's will was free to good and burned with a pure celestial flame. Original sin acted as an extinguisher and leaves the soul in the dark until lighted again by the fire of God's Spirit. Persecution some harbours are fenced with massy chains of iron, reaching from side to side to obstruct the access of shipping. 
Similar is the profession of Christ and his cause in persecuting times. But as a ship has often been able to force its way into the port and burst the chains that oppose its entrance by the aid of a favourable tide and a strong breeze, so persecution is nothing to a believing soul whose sails are filled with the breathings of the Holy Ghost and the full tide of whose affections is turned by grace to God and Christ and heaven. Pharisees Pharisees are Pharisees in all ages and all countries. What is the difference between a Pharisee in Judea and a Pharisee in England? Nothing but the lancet of God's law in the hand of the Spirit can let out the proud blood of a Pharisee and reduce the swellings of his self-righteousness. Pilgrim's Progress Sometime after the commencement of the 17th century, a singularly ingenious piece of spiritual allegory was published under the following title, The Isle of Man, or The Legal Proceeding in Manshire Against Sin. The author was the Reverend Mr. Richard Bernard, rector of Batcombe in Somersetshire. This performance seems to have had a great run. My copy is of the 8th edition, printed at London, A.D. 1632. The above work, in all probability, suggested to Mr. John Bunyan the first idea of his Pilgrim's Progress and of his Holy War. The former of these is perhaps the finest allegorical book extant, describing every stage of a believer's experience from conversion to glorification in the most artless simplicity of language, yet peculiarly rich with spiritual unction and glowing with the most vivid, just, and well-conducted machinery throughout. It is, in short, a masterpiece of piety and genius, and will, I doubt not, be of standing use to the people of God, so long as the sun and moon endure. It has been affirmed, and I believe with truth, that no book in the English tongue has gone through so many editions, the Bible and common prayer alone excepted. Power It is a saying that kings have long hands. This is eminently true of Christ, the King of Saints. He has a long hand to reach his enemies in a way of judgment, and a long hand to lay hold on his elect, and to bring nigh those who once stood afar off from him and his righteousness. Prayer The longer we neglect writing to an absent friend, the less mind we have to set about it. So the more we neglect private prayer and closet communion with God, the more shy we grow in our approaches to him. Nothing breeds a greater strangeness between the soul and God than the restraining of prayer before him, and nothing would renew the blessed intimacy if God himself, the neglected party, did not, as it were, send us a letter of expostulation from heaven and sweetly chide us for our negligence. Then we melt, then we kindle, and the blissful intercourse gradually opens as usual. David would not have been so often upon his knees in prayer if affliction had not weighed him down. There are, I believe, more prayers in the writings of David and of Jeremiah than in any other portion of Scripture. The longer you are with God on the mount of private prayer and secret communion with Him, the brighter will your face shine when you come down. We may pray spiritually by a form, and we may pray formally and coldly without one, Suppose I was to say to a converted dissenter, Sir, you do not sing the praises of God spiritually. He would ask, Why not? Was I to answer, Because you sing by a form. Dr. Watts's psalms and hymns are all pre-composed. They are forms in the strictest sense of the word. The good man would reply, True, they are pre-composed forms, but I can sing them very spiritually for all that. I should rejoin, And you can pray in the words of the liturgy as spiritually as you can sing in the words of Dr. Watts. Preaching. 
Mere moral preaching only tells people how the house ought to be built. Gospel preaching does more, for it actually builds the house. Was I a layman, and providence was to cast me in a place where I could not possibly hear the gospel preached, but should be forced to hear either an Arian or an Arminian ministry, if I heard any at all, I should much rather choose to spend my Lord's days at home in reading and praying privately, by the same rule that I would rather stay within and take such a dinner as my own house affords than go abroad to dine where I should be sure of sitting down, at best, to a dish of gravel or sand, if not of arsenic. See Ezekiel 11.16 Presence of God If you go to court, you know whether you have seen the king, and whether he has spoke to you or not. And when you attend an ordinance, you know whether you have enjoyed the presence of God or not. Preservation. If God had not chosen thee in his Son, he would not have called thee by his Spirit, and he that called thee by his Spirit will preserve thee to his kingdom. If a coach or wagon be likely to run over us, we exert all our strength and speed to get out of its way. If a storm overtakes us, we look out for a place of shelter. Oh, that we were equally sedulous to flee from the wrath to come. Professors People who profess to believe the doctrines of the gospel and yet do not experience the power of those doctrines unto sanctification resemble a man who looks over a hedge into a garden without going into it. Some professors pass for very meek, good-natured people until you displease them. They resemble a pool or pond which, while you let it alone, looks clean and limpid, but if you put in a stick and stir the bottom, the rising sediment soon discovers the impurity that lurks beneath. As the most florid people do not always enjoy the firmest state of health, so the most showy professors are not always the holiest and most substantial believers. There is a set of fellows in the present age, jocosely called Jessimies and Macaronis, who affect to dress as fine as butterflies and to be squeamishly delicate and elegant, so that you would almost take a macaroni to be a semiramis or a Cleopatra in men's clothes. But there are spiritual macaronis, as well as worldly ones. And who are those? Your self-righteous people and perfectionists above all, who, surveying themselves, not in the unflattering glass of God's law, but in the delusive mirror, and through the false medium of self-conceit, fall in love with their own image, like Narcissus, and think themselves to be spiritually rich and beautiful, though all the while they are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Christ's imputed righteousness constitutes the best dress, and sanctification by His Spirit constitutes the real beauty of the soul. And if we have not His righteousness to wear, and His grace to make us holy, we are but paltry macaronis, be our profession ever so splendid. Promises. All the promises of man to man ought to be conditional. It is only for God to make absolute promises, for he alone is unchangeable and omnipotent. Poor persons. If our Lord was upon earth, and there were in the same street two persons, the one rich and the other poor, but both equally desirous of his company, I verily believe that he would visit the poor man first. Prosperity. Too much wealth, like a suit of clothes, too heavily embroidered, does but encumber and weigh us down, instead of answering the solid purposes of usefulness and convenience. Generally speaking, the sunshine of too much worldly favour weakens and relaxes our spiritual nerves, as weather too intensely hot 
relaxes those of the body. A degree of seasonable opposition, like a fine dry frost, strengthens and invigorates and braces up. Pusillanimity. I have no notion of a timid, sneaking profession of Christ. Such preachers and professors are like a rat playing at hide-and-seek behind a wainscot, who pops his head through a hole to see if the coast is clear and ventures out if nobody is in the way, but slinks back again when danger appears. We cannot be honest to Christ except we are bold for him. He is either worth all we can lose for him, or he is worth nothing. Reason Reason is God's candle in man, but as a candle must first be lighted ere it will enlighten, so reason must be illuminated by divine grace ere it can savingly discern spiritual things. Redemption The covenant of redemption, which is a covenant of absolute grace to us, was to Christ a covenant of works and a covenant of sufferings. Reformation Mere reformation differs just as much from regeneration as whitewashing an old rotten house differs from taking it down and building it anew. Regeneration Some people laugh at regeneration by the Spirit of God and think there is nothing in it. A plain sign that they themselves are quite without it. If a man was to come and tell me that there is no such thing in the world as money, I should take it for granted that he therefore thinks so because he himself never had any. Righteousness of Christ A celebrated heathen said, Mea virtute me involvo. I wrap myself up in my own virtue. A true believer has something infinitely better to wrap himself up in. When Satan says, Thou hast yielded to my suggestions, when conscience says, Thou hast turned a deaf ear to my admonitions, when the law of God says, Thou hast broke me, when the gospel says, Thou hast neglected me, when justice says, Thou hast insulted me, when mercy says, Thou hast slighted me, faith can say, All this is too true, but Christi justitia me involvo, I wrap myself up in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The gates of heaven fly open before the righteousness of Christ, as certainly as the door of Lydia's heart flew open under the hand of God's regenerating spirit. By nature we are all weavers and spinners. We shut our eyes against the garment ready wrought, and, like silkworms, we shall die and perish in our own web if the Spirit of God does not unravel it for us and lead us to the righteousness of Christ. Safety We may safely go as far as the candle of God's word goes before. Salvation. We should be in a bad condition indeed if our salvation was suspended on conditions of our own performing. God's everlasting love, his decree of election, and the eternal covenant of redemption are the three hinges on which the door of man's salvation turns. When man fell from God, infinite justice put a lock upon the door, a lock which nothing but the golden key of Christ's blood and righteousness can open. The Holy Ghost, if I may venture to use so familiar a comparison, is, as it were, the omniscient keeper of the door, and he lets no souls in but such as he himself has washed and justified and sanctified in the name of our Lord Jesus, and by his own efficacious grace. I should as soon expect to be saved by my sins as to be saved by my good works. Saying an old proverb says, They who are not handsome at twenty will never be handsome. They who are not strong at thirty will never be so. They who are not wise at forty will never be wise. They who are not rich at fifty will never be rich. 
however this may generally be, yet the grace of God is free and not bound to time or place. Some come to Christ in childhood, some in youth, some in maturer age, and some who go unconverted to a dying bed rise converted from a dying bed to heaven. Happy they who are effectually caught by grace, whether at the first, the third, the sixth, the ninth, or the eleventh hour. Our law says, Nullum tempus occurrit regi, and I am sure it is the case with God. Scribblers. When I have been in a post-chase, I have often seen a dog pursue it with much noise and self-importance. The poor animal thought the carriage was running away from him, whereas in truth it was going at an equal rate long enough before he appeared and continued to do so long after he was out of hearing. When public persons are attacked by wretched scribblers too mean to answer, the scribblers affect to think that the omission is owing to their own superiority in argument, while in fact they are too scurrilous and unimportant to be noticed. Self-righteous Self-righteous people are like a man who has run up a very slight house for his own residence, in which, while he sits or sleeps securely, a sudden storm arises and blows down the whole fabric, and buries the builder in the ruins. God will either bring us out of our self-righteous castle, or crush us with its fall. Sensible Comfort A believer with regard to spiritual enjoyments resembles a barometer. As the silver in this instrument rises when the sun shines and the weather is fine, but sinks when the air is heavy and loaded with damps, so the Christian's sensible comfort rises when the Holy Spirit's countenance shines upon his soul, but subsides when left to the evil workings of his own heart. Sight. It is in grace as it is in nature. Some have a sharp sight, some are nearsighted. Some can clearly see their interest in Christ, some can hardly discern it at all. Some have likewise a clear view of gospel doctrines, some a confused one. Similarity. It is a peculiar happiness to observe that in matters of spiritual concern, the philosopher and the ploughman, if truly regenerate, have the same feelings and speak the same language. They all eat of the same spiritual meat and drink of the same spiritual rock which follows them, and that rock is Christ. Hence that similitude of experience, or to speak figuratively, that strong and striking family likeness which obtains among the converted people of God in every period of time and in every nation under heaven. They all, without exception, feel themselves totally ruined by original sin. They all, without exception, take refuge in the righteousness and cross of Christ, and unite in ascribing the whole praise of their salvation to the alone free grace and sovereign mercy of Father, Son, and Spirit. Sin. Suppose a loving and beloved husband dies a violent death. Can his widow love and admire and value the sword or the pistol by which her husband lost his life? As little can true believers love sin, for by it Christ the bridegroom of their souls was put to death. If a person fall and break his leg or be burnt out of his house, most people pity and sympathize with him. But if a man live in sin, where are the neighbors that feel his danger and labor to reclaim him? Or, if a believer be overtaken by a fault, how few professors will commiserate his case and endeavor to restore him in the spirit of meekness? Our corrupt hearts are like gunpowder, apt to kindle at every spark of temptation. The Spirit of God must be continually throwing water upon the soul in order to preserve it from taking fire. Sinner Nothing but Christ will do for a dying sinner, and why should we dream that anything else will do for a living sinner? 
Sin cannot enter into heaven, but a sinner may. Succession. I know but of two uninterrupted successions, one of sinners ever since the fall of Adam, two of saints, for God always had and always will have a seed to serve him. Spiritual advantage. Want of spiritual comfort is often attended with spiritual advantage. A person who walks in the dark is usually more cautious and careful where and how he treads. Spiritual numbness. It is with our souls as it is with our bodies. We sometimes catch cold, we know not how. Strictness. How many people deceive themselves under a profession of extraordinary strictness. The Capuchin friars make a vow never to touch any piece of money whatever while they live. Offer them a shilling or a guinea, they will refuse to take it, but wrap it up in a bit of paper, and they will receive and pocket it without scruple. Submission. God knows best what to do with us. We are not qualified to choose for ourselves. The patient ought not to prescribe for the physician, but the physician for the patient. Supplies. When Hagar was quite disconsolate with fatigue of body and distress of mind, there was a fountain by her, though she knew it not. So the weeping believer has relief at hand, which he cannot see. God's word, God's spirit, and God's ministers are the angels that direct and lead his afflicted people to the fountain opened. The acts of breathing which I performed yesterday will not keep me alive today. I must continue to breathe afresh every moment in order to my enjoying the consolations and to my working the works of God. Time. Was a man every day to throw a purse of money or even a single guinea into the sea, he would be looked upon as a madman and his friends would soon confine him for such. But a man who throws away that which is of more value than gold, than mines, than the whole world, even his health, his peace, his time, and his soul, such an one is admired, esteemed, and applauded by the greater part of mankind. Temptation Worms and other insects take up their habitation under the surface of the earth. A plat of ground may be outwardly verdant with grass and decorated with flowers, but take a spade in your hand and turn up the mould and... You soon have a sample of the vermin that lurk beneath. Temptation is the spade which breaks up the ground of a believer's heart and helps to discover the corruptions of his fallen nature. Trust. Trust the promise and God will make good the performance. We can never be truly easy and happy until we are enabled to trust God for all things, and the more we are enabled to trust Him, the more gracious and faithful we shall find Him. A good king carefully observes the law. Christ, the king in Zion, kept the divine law in all respects, and his converted subjects first trust in him as a law-fulfiller, ere they can obey him acceptably as a law-giver. Many turnpike gates bear this inscription in large capital letters, No trust here. This is the very language of our own unbelieving hearts. We do not trust God, we do not give him credit, hence all murmurings, anxiety, etc., Undeterminate. People of fluctuating principles resemble what is fabled of Muhammad's iron coffin, suspended in the air between two large lodestones, but without touching either of them. Universal language. Some have entertained a chimerical idea of an universal language. There is indeed, spiritually speaking, a language common to all the converted of every age and country. The language of Canaan is understood all the world over by everyone who is taught of God. 
unfruitful. It is a common thing in London, when a house is uninhabited and shut up, for boys to write in chalk on the windows, shutters and door, empty. When a person professes godliness and does not bring forth good works in his practice, we too may write the word empty on all the profession he makes. Universality Universality, say the Papists, is a mark of the true Church. There are some Catholics in every country under heaven. But, if this be a just mark, the Jews will bid the fairest of any, for being the true Church, for they are sifted among all nations. Unregeneracy It is said of the original Indians of Florida that, when they could not pay their debts, they took a short method of settling the account by knocking their creditors on the head. Sinners in a state of unregeneracy, though partly sensible that they do not keep the law of God, yet think to knock God's justice on the head by pleading absolute mercy. An unregenerate man is absolutely dead in a spiritual sense. He has no hearing of the promises, no sight of his own misery, of the holiness of God, of the purity of the law, nor of Christ as covenanting, obeying, dying, and interceding, no taste of God's love in Christ and the sweetness of communion with him by the Spirit, no feeling of conviction in a way of grace, humiliation and self-renunciation, no scent after God and glory, no hungerings nor thirstings after spiritual consolations and assurance, no motion toward divine enjoyments and evangelical holiness. Vicissitude God's people are travellers. Sometimes they are in dark lanes and deep valleys, sometimes on the hills of joy where all is light and cheerful. Works Mount Sinai, or the hope of being saved, in part at least by our own works, may be compared to a dreary rock. The soul of man is the Andromeda, chained to this rock. Satan is the monster that gapes to devour. Christ is the Perseus who, by the sword of his spirit, slays the monster's power, breaks the legal chain, and sets the awakened soul at liberty. Mount Sinai, i.e. salvation by works, is labour in vain hill. Do all you can, you will never get to the top of it, nor so much as halfway up. The business of Christ's blood is to wash our bad works out and to wash our good works clean. Writings some men's writings resemble a dark night, enlivened by a few occasional flashes of lightning. I was lately asked what my opinion is of Mr. John Fletcher's writings. My answer was that, in the very few pages which I have perused, the serious passages were dullness double condensed, and the lighter passages impudence double distilled. Young converts. Young converts are generally great bigots. When we are first converted to God, our brotherly affection too often resembles the narrowness of a river at its first setting out. But as we advance nearer to the great ocean of all good, the channel widens and our hearts expand more and more until death perfectly unites us to the source of uncreated love. End of section 2 End of Observations and Reflections by Augustus Toplady